All right, everybody. How are you doing? Welcome to Studio B, our weekly podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this particular episode. Um, we are excited, excited, excited about a episode that we're going to bring to you today. Uh, remember, if you're watching us, go to our Facebook Live, our uh, YouTube, our Twitter, and make sure that you follow and subscribe so that you don't miss one single episode of Studio B. Uh, today, I wanna, I'm want i at the table by myself today because I want to lay some things on your heart from a pastoral uh, point of view. Um, as we've been talking about recent issues um, that are plaguing our land today, political, social unrest, Black Lives Matter, uh, we've been having several podcasts discussing the issues of today. Um, today, I want to talk to you from a biblical point of view, from a pastoral point of view. Uh, on a very all-important topic, and it is defining or developing a biblical worldview. We've talked about that a lot. Um, I got an email, a couple of emails last week in regards to when I mentioned this on some previous podcasts of people asking me to explain what a biblical worldview is. And so I think it's an appropriate question that we need to dive into on today's uh, uh, episode, uh, because I think it's important because a, a, a worldview is simply how you view the world. And there are a lot of worldviews out there, a lot of them competing, no doubt, but there are a lot of worldviews out there that are in our land. But today specifically, I want to talk about a biblical worldview. Now, let me draw a clear line in the sand. I am not talking about a Christian worldview. I'm talking about a biblical worldview. And I do not use Christian and biblical synonymously because oftentimes what has been done in the name of Christianity has nothing to do with Christianity. Um, a lot of things have been put in its place that are much more traditional uh, than they are biblical. So I am not talking about a Christian worldview. I am talking about a biblical worldview. And it is very important that we understand the difference between those two. Now, how do you understand what a worldview is? Well, it's all in the wording, because as I talk about today, I am asking us to uh, think about developing a Christian worldview. You're not born with a worldview or a biblical worldview. You develop a biblical worldview. And one of the ways that you do that is, of course, uh, in trench study of the word of God and in fellowship with God through prayer and the practices of what the Bible says. But this is important because you can always tell what a person believes by what they say. And one of the things that the Bible is very, very clear of is that out of the abundance of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever is in the heart, which is the seat of the man's emotion, is what a person speaks. And therefore, whatever they speak is ultimately what they believe. And so when people tell you what they think by saying whatever they're saying, you have to understand the belief behind what those words are. And that is a biblical worldview. That is a worldview. Now, there are a lot of different worldviews out there. We already discussed a biblical worldview. There is a social worldview. There is a political worldview. There is a family worldview. There is a moral worldview. Um, there's a lot of different lenses by which we view the world. But today, I want to discuss a biblical worldview. And why is this important on Studio B? Because one of the things that we do on Studio B is we want to talk about the issues of today's society in a very practical way, but make sure that we merge them with a biblical worldview, a biblical belief. And we are unapologetically Christian. We are unapologetically in confessing Christ as our Lord and Savior and believe that the word of God is the inspired word of God that is without error. We believe that here on Studio B. And so while we will talk about the issues of social justice, while we will talk about the issues of political unrest and all of the things that are happening in our world, COVID-19 and the like, we will talk about the issues of the day. But at the end of those discussions, we have to bring what does God say? Because that is the only way that we will be able to tackle the issues of the day. And so all of the issues of the day cannot be uh, solved with political uh, pandering and, and, and this and that. Uh, as Tony Evans so rightfully said, that if your problem is with God, 
then no amount of policy, no person that you put in office will fix the problem if your problem is with God. If your problem is with God, then you must get right with God before God will make the problem go away. And so this is defined by a biblical worldview. And a biblical worldview is simply just exactly what that suggests, how you see the world in regards to relationships, how you judge what is good, how you judge what is evil, how do you judge what is your value system, how your value system is shaped. Um, All of this is talking about from a biblical worldview. If you've been in church for any length of time, then you've heard Romans chapter number 12, uh, beginning at verses one and two. Paul writes that I beseech you, brothers, by the tender mercies of God, that you offer yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. And then he says in verse number two, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is a good and perfect and acceptable will of God. So in verse number two, Paul says, be not conformed. That word conformed means to be squeezed into a mold. He says, do not be conformed to this world. That word world there in Greek is cosmos, K-O-S-M-O-S, and it means a, a, a system of belief. And so what Paul says in verse number two of chapter 12 of Romans is don't be squeezed in to the world's belief. But instead of being squeezed into the world's belief, be transformed, Greek word metamorphosis, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so Paul says what we have to be able to do is switch from a worldview to a biblical worldview. Now, I'm going to try to make this not so cerebral. We have to dive into the weeds in order to come out on the other side of this with some information that will be applicable and practical in our lives. But Paul says here very, very clearly, we do not need to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And understand something, dear saints, that the world is constantly trying to conform us. Um, That's being done with advertising. That's being done with social media. That's being done with commercials. That's being done with movies, TVs, uh, social trends. The world is constantly trying to conform us to their beliefs. But a biblical worldview, not a Christian worldview, but a biblical worldview keeps you grounded. A biblical worldview will oftentimes go contrary to a normal worldview. And so Paul says, be not conformed to this world, this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, Paul also in verse number two of Romans chapter number 12 says this world as to say that this world is passing by. And so he said the reason why we can't be conformed to this world is because this world is temporary and it is and it will eventually pass by. But then he says, be uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then here's what he says. The benefits of being transformed will be. You will know what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. So in verse number two, he contrasts two things. He contrasts a world that is passing away. And then he says to be transformed to by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is the perfect and acceptable will of God. So he talks about a passing world and he talks about the eternity of God. And so that's within a biblical worldview. How you love your family, how you love your wife, how you interact with people is ultimately defined by how you view the world. How you view the world will dictate how you view people. If And this is one of the arguments of creation versus evolution, and I won't dive too heavy into this, but how you view how you got here is ultimately how you view your fellow man. If man is an accident that came up on the scene by the Big Bang Theory, if he is an accident that evolved from an ape, if he is by chance, then I treat him as such. If man was born and evolved of an animal, then I treat him like an animal. 
If man on the other side was made in the very image of God, then I treat him as such. And so a lot of the problems that you see happening in our world right now of man in humanity to man is simply how we view man and how we view ourselves. If we view men from this perspective, then that's how we treat them. If we view men from this perspective, that's how we treat them. And so all of this is wrapped up into a world view. And so a worldview, not a Christian worldview, but a biblical worldview has the Bible as its center. And every single person listening to me now has a world view. Everybody has a worldview that explains who they are how they got here and their purpose in life. And a person's worldview influences everything that they do. It is like the glasses that they wear in order to see the world, the lenses by which they view the world. That's their worldview. And everything that is attached to your worldview will dictate how you live out in this world. So it is very important that one defines what their worldview is. And so as I'm looking at the landscape of the land right now and, and looking at everything that is going on, not just in the Western uh, world in America, but holistically worldwide, um, I see that a lot of the problems that we are shaping is because of how we view each other. And we don't have a God perspective. Uh, I was sharing with a friend that one of the, the things that has been um, a struggle for me is because I travel so much, uh, I've only been able to do one international trip in 2020. And for the end of 2020, we've canceled all mission trips for the remainder of the year and won't pick them back up until 2021. But I'm a frequent traveler and I love flying. And the best part of the flight for me are the first two minutes taken off and the last two minutes landing. Those are the best parts of the flight for me. That's why I always get a window seat when I get on the plane. Because the first two minutes of taking off, you're able to see, in this case, Houston, in a way that you can never see it just walking down the street. You literally get a 30,000 foot view of Houston. As you're looking out the window of that plane, you're able to see Houston in a way that you've never seen it before. And it is because you have a complete view and not just this view that is limited to time and perspective. And so you'll never be able to see walking down the street the many trees that are surrounding the city of Houston. You'll never be able to see the symmetry of highways and neighborhoods and, and all of the things that are incorporating within our city. As long as you're just simply walking down the street, it is only when you get a higher view that you're able to appreciate the beauty of a place that you happen to live in. And then when I'm flying into whatever city or whatever country that we may be landing in, that last two minutes of the landing, I'm able to see the landscape. Even though I know I'm getting ready to go into a slum, even though I'm getting ready to go into a place that may not necessarily be nice, I'm flying in and seeing the 30,000 foot view of what that place looks like. And so it gives me a perspective that is not limited to me just looking the person eye to eye. And I think a lot of people are caught up in the problems of the world is because they don't have a 30,000 foot view. Um, they're looking at the problems and the problems are overwhelming them and they don't know what to do with it. But a biblical worldview helps you to see a 30,000 foot view of what I like to call a God perspective of this world. What does God say? What does God say about the issues that are going on? What does God say about the violence that is happening? What does God say about the injustice that is going on? What does God say about people in general? That's God's perspective. And when you don't have that, you look at life through a jaded lens. So a biblical worldview will help you to understand what God says, and then it helps you to make decisions based not on what you feel, but on what God says. This is one of the things about a biblical worldview that is very, very difficult for people because as I said in last week's podcast, we're living in a world of 240 characters or less. We're living in a world where snippets define our belief. So we're living in a world where we can see a picture on Instagram and develop an entire belief system around a picture. We develop an entire belief system behind a 30 second clip. We're living in a world where information is literally at our fingertips, but we're not accessing it because we're living in a microwave generation. And we're living in a world right now where people are moved and making decisions that affect other people simply because of how they feel. And how you feel is a horrible gauge 
of how you make decisions because your feelings, your emotions will ultimately pass. Having a biblical worldview means that no matter how I feel, I must be able to take a step back and examine the situation for what it's worth. That is a biblical worldview. And when people make decisions using the hairs on their arm as the gauge and whatever feels good is what I do, whatever don't make me feel good, I don't do. And that's the kind of society that we are perpetuating in 2020. We will make horrible decisions that impact other people's lives. And so being able to take a step back and look at the, the lens of life through the lens of God will help us to make more profound decisions that will impact people's lives in a much more profound way. This is having a biblical world view. And a discussion that I had a few weeks ago with a couple of friends of mine really kind of cemented this. Um, social media, um, as you know, I'm a technology guy. I love technology. Uh, I believe that technology should be embraced. I, I believe it should be embraced um, in the advancement of the kingdom of God. I believe that God has given us technology, not so that the, the, the world can only use it, but I believe that God has given technology to advance the principles in the kingdom of God in a very profound way. So I'm a tech head. I, I, be, I, I believe in technology. Uh, I stay up to date on technology. Um, so I'm not one of these ones that disparage social media and the platforms of social media. But in that same vein, I believe that social media, while it can be absolutely a godsend, I can also believe, I also believe that it can be used mightily by the enemy to get a message across that can affect people's lives in a very negative way. And I believe that social media has now given a platform, a platform to people who otherwise should not be listened to that are now given uh, a platform that millions of people uh, on whatever topic will tune in to these particular people to hear what they think. And when you're looking at people and listening to people who have a worldview that is opposite of yours, you have to be able to gauge that in a very sincere way. And here's what I mean by that. It's not to say that everybody's going to agree with you, but most people want people to agree with them. And any time that somebody does not agree with you, we have contentions with that person. Well, that's just not life, people. Um, you got to have some people in your life that don't agree with you. That keeps you balanced. You got to have some people in your life that have contrary thoughts to yours. That keeps you balanced. That keeps you in the balance of life so that you don't tilt to one side or the other. But most people don't want people around them that challenge them, that don't cause them to think deeply that don't cause them to look at things in a different manner. And the problem that we're facing right now is that we are literally villainizing people who have different opinions. Now, one of the things that I love is when we can sit around and dialogue and I can perceive something that I didn't think about before from another perspective, because that enhances me as a person. That enhances my mental capability to think about something in a way that I did not think about it before. And so I welcome contrary beliefs and contrary thoughts. Not that I'll agree with them and you don't have to agree with them, but you should welcome people with different ideas and different viewpoints so that it can enhance you as a person. But now in 2020, we are literally villainizing people, cancel culture, that have different opinions than we do. Never more in our world is this a more polarizing time in America where you are literally split down the middle, red, blue, Christian, non-Christian, whatever, whatever two sides you want to put there. That's where we're at. And it's a sad place to be in because without the discourse of conversation, we can never get better as people. And so when Jesus talks about this very, very clearly, when he says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks, so is he. So you have to be able to develop a world view that keeps you in a good space. So there's a myriad of different worldviews, and I want to talk about a couple of them uh, as we kind of shape this narrative, because I want people to understand that as Christians, uh, uh, America is not our home. We are passing through. The book of Peter tells us that we are pilgrims. And the problem with a pilgrim is 
wherever he's staying at is not his permanent home. He's always moving. Uh, you know, the Bible says when this earthly tent is turned down, a tent is never a permanent dwelling. When you're looking at the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses built the tabernacle of God, the word tabernacle means tent. A tent is never permanent. A tent is simply for the moment. And so when you get comfortable in a place that you're not supposed to be for very long, you begin to take on a distorted view. We are pilgrims coming through this land. So this biblical worldview has to be shaped. Why? Because we are living in a world of constantly changing values, a value system. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter five, verse number 20, beware when men call good evil and evil good. He said, beware of that. When men call good evil and evil good. Never so much right now in 2020 is that not the case. We are living in a world where values are constantly changing. And here's the thing about a value. A value is a foundational principle. A value is, I believe, that everyone has the right to life. That's a value. And that value establishes a foundation. That value does not change. Now, I can change the windows of the house. I can change the door of the house. But you never see a homeowner saying, I want to change the foundation of our house. You can change and you can do all of this other stuff, but the foundation of the house is what the house sits on. That's what a that's what a worldview or a biblical worldview is because of the constantly changing world of morals, values and even truths that are constantly changing. We must make decisions not based on the moment, but on something that is outside of ourselves. Now, if I can just bring you into a conversation that I just had with my daughters that I uh, just recently took to college, I just dropped both of them off, one at Texas State and one at Prairie View. Um, I'm at a place right now, we're at a place right now as parents to where we have to trust what we placed in our children. Uh, because we can't be with them 24 hours a day. We can't be with them seven days a week. We can't be calling them every minute of the day. We are now in a place in our time, in, a, in our lives and in our marriage and in our family where we have to trust what we put in our, in our kids. We have to trust the biblical foundation. We have to trust the example. We have to trust the teachings that we placed in our child and our children because now they are outside of that protective space called their home. And so now they have to make decisions uh, on their own that they don't have the benefit of their parents to bounce off ideas off of. And one of the things as parents that we have to be able to do is to train our children and prepare our children for that ultimate day where they will have to stand on their own. Now, in the conversation that I had with them, I have to release them off on college campuses where I know professors are teaching principles and doctrines contrary to what they have learned in their own home. So they're sitting in philosophy courses. They're sitting in all of these particular uh, um, um, areas where they are being taught things that are contrary to what they have learned all of their lives. And I have to trust at a place in time that they're able to disseminate information, that they're able to take information apart and rightly divide information. And, and this is one of the scary things that we have to do as parents. This is where our faith comes in and say, okay, well, did we do enough? Did we do a good enough job in pouring the foundation in our children's lives that we're now able to release them into a world that is ever changing? And me and my wife even discussed this a couple of days ago, where um, as a parent right now, and as you're looking at your kids in today's society, you have to release them into a world that is ever changing that um, the norm for today was not the norms of yesterday. Um, it is an entirely new system uh, that is operating in this world. But one of the things that will help people to stay grounded is not policies that come and go, but it is the word of God that never changes. And one of the things that we have implemented or tried our best to implement, now it's not a perfect system on behalf of the parents that teach it and the people that teach it, 
but is to help them to understand the importance of making biblical decisions. Biblical decisions. Making decisions based on what the Bible says about whatever situation may be going on in your life. As I'm telling my kids, and I know you guys are not my kids, but just for reference sake, you cannot make decisions based on how you feel. Because those feelings, our feelings, notoriously lie to us. You can't make decisions based on tears. You can't make decisions based on hurt feelings. You can't make decisions based on being offended. You have to make decisions based on whatever that situation is and find something outside of that situation to measure that situation with. And saints, when we begin to sit back and make those kind of decisions, you will see men, women, boys and girls, culture, worlds, you will see them being affected in a more positive way because you're not making decisions based on the moment. If you learn anything about the life of Christ, you know that he did not make decisions based in the moment. One of the instances that instantly comes to mind is when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. You got a, 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 a legion of, excuse me, a centurion army of Roman soldiers, a hundred soldiers coming to uh, arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you got his disciples with him. And then you have Peter in the moment saying, you're not going to touch my Jesus. And what does Peter do in the moment? Because he is being ruled by how he feels. He pulls out his sword, cuts off Malcolm's ear, a, sword, a Roman soldier's ear. And what did Jesus say to his man, Peter? If you look at the text, there's no exclamation mark. So Jesus didn't scream at Peter. He didn't, he didn't rebuke Peter in a very negative way. He said, Peter, put your sword away. He said, Peter, because if I wanted to fight like that, I have 12 legions of angels that can come down here and destroy all of these Roman soldiers. So Jesus said, I can call 12,000 angels to come and take out 100 soldiers if that's what I wanted. But that's not what he did. He told Peter, because, you because you're reacting in the moment, it's going to cause damage for you in the future. And he told Peter, don't make decisions in the moment. Make decisions based on my word. And so when you begin to do that and establish a biblical worldview, you will find a lot more peace, a lot more joy, a lot more happiness in your life. So when you begin to start making decisions outside of the moment and making decisions based on something that is concrete and never changing, here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 13. Jesus says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I do not change. And the book of Malachi, the, uh, the Lord says, I am the Lord and I do not change. Everything is changing, but the one thing that will never change is God. Uh, the book of Hebrews says that um, because God could swear to no other name greater to himself, he swore by his own name. He swore by his own name. Because there are two things that the Bible says are immutable. That is God never changing and God cannot lie. They are immutable. They are in concrete. They are in stone. They can never, ever, ever change. And so in a world of ever-changing morality, ever-changing values, ever-changing systems, we must look to something that never changes. And that's why I have spent so much time trying to point people to the Bible, not to a political party, not to a candidate, because politics come and go, everybody. Listen, no matter whether you are Republican, Democrat, Independent, no matter you consider yourself to be Green Party, Tea Party, it doesn't make a difference. Politics are politics. They will tell you what you want to hear for the moment of the day. And so while I do not align myself to a particular party, I try to align myself and base my decisions based on biblical principles. And hear this, biblical principles alone. And this is what's called a biblical worldview. When I look at the loss of life and when I look at how people are being treated in this world, that is an issue of how men see themselves. That is not an issue of how God sees men. God sees men created in his own image. And then he said in, in Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, he created him in his own image and in his image and his likeness. And he created them. And then he said, it is very good. 
So the very creation that God formed from the dust of the earth, God said, it is good. And then he says, are you not your brother's keeper? And then he says in the book of John, John comes back and says that how can we love God whom we've never seen, but we hate our brother who is made in his very image. And so when you can go out and kill a man with no regard, that simply has everything to do with how you view the world. If you can take a baby inside of the womb and kill it, that is simply how you view the world. And that goes back to your world view. When you say that, when you have a worldview that is rooted in the scriptures and is rooted in the and is rooted in the precept that God loves all men and is rooted in the principles of how God sees men and is rooted in the principle that God wants all men to prosper, that God wants all men to come to a knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. That is a biblical worldview that must, that must dominate every other worldview. And so a biblical worldview, I want you to see this, and there's going to be a chart on there, but a biblical worldview is how I define what is real, how I define what is true, how I define what is good, and how I define what I do. That is a biblical worldview. I use a worldview, a biblical worldview in this example, to define what is real, to define what is true, to define what is good, and to, and to define what I do. So let's take this from the bottom up. I got to define what is real. God has given us emotions. God has given us feelings. God has given us a subconscious. God has given us uh, his way. Those things are planted on the inside of our heart. As the Bible says that God has written his word on our hearts for the unsaved man. That's the conscience. Okay. That word conscience, conscience, C-O-N means with science means knowledge. And so the word conscience is literally a word that means with knowledge. So when a man violates his conscience, he violates his conscience with knowledge. So whatever is wrong that in his heart he knows is wrong, but he does instinctively what he knows is wrong anyway, he does that with knowledge. He does not just stumble into a transgression. He murders a man knowing that killing a man is wrong, but yet he still does it. So what does he do? He sins against his own conscience with knowledge. So he makes a decision to do whatever is wrong with conscience, C-O-N, knowledge, science. So he creates or he does what's wrong with knowledge. So God has written his word on the hearts of people so that instinctively men know what is wrong and what is right. That's why when you're looking at a baby, you don't have to teach a baby how to tell the, uh, how to lie. You don't have to teach an infant um, to be stingy. Um, what's that you got behind your back? Nothing. Why does he go and rip his toys away from another child that's playing with his toy? It's because of the sinful nature in man. So what do you have to do? You have to teach a child to tell the truth. You don't have to teach a child how to lie. You have to train them in righteousness, not train them in unrighteousness. Because David said, I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. But God has written his word in our hearts that we know what is wrong. So when a child does something wrong, they instantly start crying. Why? Because in their heart, even as an infant, even as a toddler, they have God's word written on their heart. So what does man do? Man violates his conscience and continually does that which is wrong, even though he knows it is wrong. So when you're looking at all the things that are going on in the world today, we violate our conscience in a lot of different respects. We violate our conscience when we lie because you know that lying is wrong, but you fear the truth. So you would rather lie with knowledge than face the truth of telling whatever that may be. And so we have this worldview that is shaped and people consider that to be the gospel truth, but that's not real. I got to be able to define what is true and what has to be true is a universal truth. It can't be, and, and we've talked about this before on this podcast, we're now living in a world where people say, well, that's your truth, and that's your truth. Well, you tell the people your truth. And so we have defined truth 
by personalities and experience. Well, that's not truth, y'all. Truth, truth has, in order for truth to be truth, truth has to be a universal concept, right? And so we have to be able to define what is true. Then we have to be able to define what is good. And then we have to define what we do. Now, those four concepts, those four biblical, and I don't see uh, biblical, I'll say foundational, those foundational precepts to developing a worldview, all of those are shaped into the person of Christ or into the person of God the Father. Because God is real, God is true, God is good, and ultimately in God we know what to do. Now, how does man shape that? Well, if you develop a worldview, it has to be developed within the framework of uh, what the Bible says. Now, few people have anything um, that define them more than what they believe. Here's how a lot of people develop a worldview. It's how I've been taught. It's what I know. And so if I've been raised in a particular environment and I've seen that environment every day of my life, then, of course, that's going to be how I view the world at large. One of the things that has been absolutely beneficial, and I'm going to, um, I watched a documentary last night on uh, the Philippines. And in the Philippines, uh, well, let me backtrack. Let me, let me set this up contextually. Uh, one of the places that I've been to several times is a place uh, in Guatemala called Jalapa. And in Jalapa, where we go and do ministry at, we often go to the Children of the Dump. And the Children of the Dump is literally maybe about 100 or so people that live in the landfill of Jalapa. And the landfill is where they bring everybody's trash and dump it into this particular place. And so they are literally, literally, uh, I'm not uh, over um, dramatizing this thing. Literally, you have people living in the landfill. So you have plastic houses um, that are lined along the walls of this landfill in Jalapa. And uh, uh, last year when we went to the children of the dump or the people of the dump is what they call them, uh, I literally saw a man with a stick in his hand rummaging through uh, the trash looking for food with his left hand. And in his right hand, he had a stick where he was trying to stop a vulture from getting the food that he was digging out of the trash uh, in the landfill. I literally watched this with my own eyes. As he is rummaging through trash, he is fighting a vulture from getting the food that he's trying to take back to his family in the landfill. Now, we took beans and we took rice, we took new shoes, we took clothes, we did all of that, but I left the landfill with a gaping hole in my heart because it felt like even though we did some great stuff, we ministered to him in a positive way, it was almost like spitting in the ocean. Um, it was almost like, what did we really do considering what I'm looking at when I'm seeing two-year-old children run through um, heaps of garbage? Um, the stench was overwhelming. Um, and to see people are living in these conditions um, every single day of their life. And so while I was there, I told the team that while we can go and minister to them, their worldview is shaped by what they see every day. It's shaped by garbage because garbage is what they see every day. Garbage is not something out of the norm because it's literally what they live in. And so when I saw this and we've tried to do a lot of stuff in the landfills and I just got a, um, a, a great report um, a few months ago, excuse me, last year, I think it was November of 2019, um, where the government of Alapa is trying to relocate the people of the dump uh, into a more permanent dwelling. I don't know what that is. Um, a lot of talk has been said in the past about that very same thing, but I don't know where it's going to go. I pray that it does. Um, but I've been able to see stuff like that. And I was watching a documentary uh, last night about the Philippines and the people in Manila. And as bad as the people of the dump are, there are people in the Philippines that are called the graveyard people, that these are people that are living in graveyards, in tombs. And so what happens in the Philippines and Manila, especially right outside of the province of Manila, is that when a person dies, they don't embalm them. They put them on this makeshift um, cloth stretch and they simply slide them inside of a tomb. 
and they can only the, the family can only lease out that tomb for five years. And at the end of the five years, there are grave diggers that goes in and based on whatever date that they put them in there, which is on the outside of the tomb, five years to the day, they will go in and take those remains out, out of the tomb and put the bones of that particular person. Now, remember, they're not in, they're not embalmed. Put the bones of that particular person right next to the tomb that was just open. And the family of that deceased person has two weeks to come and re, um, and come and commandeer the bones of that loved one. If not, the bones, the remains will be burned into an open fire that they have at the other side of the uh, graveyard. And they do that because after five years, they have to open up that grave, pull that grave member out or that grave person out so that they can put another person in. Well, here's the strange thing about it. As they are waiting to put somebody else inside of that grave, people in the area make homes inside of those sepulchers. So people are living in the graveyard. And as I'm watching this this documentary, I see little kids, two and three, five, six years old, playing on top of a mountain of dead bones. They're literally using femurs as swords arm bones as swords, play fighting with the bones of dead people. This is in 2020 in the Philippines, right outside of the province of Manila. It's called People of the Graveyard, living in the graveyard, if you ever wanted to look it up. And when I see stuff like that, and because of my travels, my worldview has been so exponentially enlarged that it's very difficult for me with all the stuff that we have going on in America, warts and all, uh, warts and all, everybody, um, we're not living in the graveyard. We're not living in the dumps. But this goes to a biblical worldview. Now, how is that? Because here's John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Watch this. God loves the people of the dump in Jalapa, Guatemala. God loves the people living in the graveyard in Manila, Philippines. God loves the world, not just America, not just first world countries, but God loves the world. And how did he show that love is that he gave his one and only son and that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Watch how this worldview is framed It's framed because I know that God loves people. God loves people. God loves black people, white people, Hispanic people, Chinese people, every person under the rainbow, God loves them. God loves people who do wrong. God loves people who do right. God loves people. And I develop a framework around that because of a biblical mandate. And so if I treat people in a way that is not consistent with God's love, then that simply, that simply tells me that I don't understand God's love. When I don't look for the good in people, when I don't see the best in people and don't see the future benefit of people, that is simply because I'm not looking at people the way that God looks at people. And so my biblical worldview is not framed by a democratic belief. It is not framed by a Republican belief. It is not framed by a red versus blue. It is not framed by any of that. My worldview is framed by what the Bible says. Now, is it a perfect science? No, it's not. Because at the end of the day, we are fallen people. We are fallen people who live in a sin-sick world. And so there are going to be times in which we all, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, fall short of the glory of God. It's par for the course. If you haven't messed up on your walk with God, then you just haven't been living long enough. We're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. Watch this. We're going to make repeated mistakes. But this is where the grace and the mercy of God comes in. Because grace covers us. And so before you start pointing your fingers and before you start looking down at people, before you start calling people out of their name, before you start treating people in this way or that way, ask yourself a question. What would God say about that? And saints, I'm always reminded 
of 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 something that I try to keep close to my heart. I try my best not to to point my finger at, at nobody because I know I, I know that within myself I got to stay in my prayer closet, y'all. I got to stay with my head down before God. I got to stay in a constant state of repentance um, because I know this flesh and this flesh rises up a lot and it takes a lot to keep this flesh in check. And so I make sure that I'm on the other side of trying to lift people up. No matter where people may be in life, no matter how much they've messed up, no matter how many times they messed up, I feel it a duty to me because of what God has done in my own life to be the hand that reaches down to lift up. I don't want to be the foot that puts on their neck to push down. I want to be able to lift people up. I want to be able to encourage people through whatever walk of life that they may be in to say, you know what, there's victory on the other side of your storm. There's victory on the other side of your pain. That if you can just simply get through it, there is something more beneficial waiting for you. And so that that comes from a biblical world view. Everybody, I know that we got problems here in America. I'm not blind to them. I am not blind to the problems that are facing America, um, but I'm also not going to be one of these ones that is not going to lift up the progress that has been made in America. Um, and I'm also not going to be the one because I've had uh, God has allowed me to experience so many different things in my Christian walk that it provides me with a lens that I know that other people are not looking through. And so I want to encourage you that a biblical worldview and again, not a Christian worldview but a biblical worldview will keep you grounded. It will keep you in a sense of peace. When everything is falling down around you, you can have a sense of peace because you have a biblical worldview that is not shaped, that is not influenced by what's going on in this world. And so lastly, I want to leave this on your heart. Um, in, in the book of Matthew, um, Chapter number six, verse number 26 and 34. Um, this is in red. So it comes from the mouth of Christ. Uh, Jesus says this, look at the birds of the air. So the focus is the birds of the air. In, in my day, we used to uh, we used to call them chi-chi birds. I don't know what the, the scientific name of them is, but it's those little bitty birds. Um, but here's the bird. Those are the birds that he has in mind. He says, look at these birds, look at the birds of the air. And then he says, these birds neither sow nor reap, nor do they gather into barns. But he says, yet your heavenly father feeds them. And then he makes this statement. He says, are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one hour to their life. Jesus, in, in verse number 26, you ought to go home and look at it. Verse number 27 following, you ought to go home and look at it and ask yourself, what does that mean to your own life? Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. If you go into any grocery store in the parking lot, go to the park, you'll see all of these birds pecking for food, pecking for food. I experienced this in a way that was um, just mind blowing to see how God works. Uh, I pulled up into Kroger and as I was pulling up, a guy was driving off and he had thrown um, in this Kroger's parking lot. There's a Chick-fil-A um, in the same parking lot. So he had thrown this Chick-fil-A bag with apparently some fries still in it. So as I pulled up, he was driving off. And as I saw him driving off, I saw him drop uh, the Chick-fil-A bag out of his window onto the ground. Well, as I pull up and park, immediately upon that bag dropping to the ground, birds came and swarmed that bag, eating, no doubt, the fries or whatever food was left inside of the bag. And I want you, and as I sat there and watched that, immediately as he drove off, immediately as he drove off, birds came and swarmed that bag. Now, it's littering. Don't get me wrong. It's littering. <laughs> but here it is. These birds swarmed a bag that had food in it. This says that God feeds the birds of the air. And then he says, are you not of more value than birds? And then he asked this question. Why do you worry? If you're more valuable than birds that I feed 
every day that I make sure that they don't go to bed without, that I make sure that they are fed. If you're, if you're more valuable than them, then why are you worrying? If God is our father, this is a biblical worldview that no matter what's going on in the land, I'm good. My family's good. We will be good because God has promised God has promised to not put more on me than what I'm able to bear. He says, lastly, that how are you worrying? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as one of these. And he says, God, who clothed the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you? And then he says, lastly, in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added unto you. Well, saints, what's the other things? If I seek God first, God's going to make sure that I get fed. God's going to make sure that I have shelter. God's going to make sure that I'm fully clothed. But if I seek him first, all the other things in life will be added unto me. That is a biblical world view. My trust is in God. My trust is not in politicians. My trust is not in the law of the land. My trust is in God. That is a biblical worldview that will shape every other worldview. And so if you want peace, if you want joy, if you want contentment in the midst of all things going on, develop a biblical worldview. Now make sure that if you're watching, you go to our YouTube, hit subscribe, click that bell right there to the right so that you don't miss one episode here on Studio B. Make sure that you like, you share, um, you comment on um, Studio B so that we'll know that you are getting these podcasts delivered to you weekly. Uh, everybody, we love you. We really do love you. God loves you. Be encouraged. Stay strong. Stay faithful. Um, keep the faith. God is for you. And it's not going to put more on you than what you're able to bear. We'll see you next week. You can call me